The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Big Six Podcast, the U.S. Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Wolverton. I'm your host. It is Wednesday, August the 18th, and Analytics Week, or Nerd Week, really just Season Preview Week, uh, as we call it, continues on. On this episode, we're going to talk about the AFC North and the NFC North in the feed. Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus talks about the AFC and NFC East, and we stick at the Pro, fo- pro Football Focus theme. Sorry, right, I, I botched Pro Football Focus. Steve Palazzo. Steve, what's up, buddy? How you doing, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me. You can uh, you can actually make it easy. We've officially changed to just PFF. Oh yeah, because y'all actually do we do we, we did we talk about the story? Did you guys have to go like take a bag of cash to meet somebody and get PFF.com? I believe we did. So uh, you can just go by PFF. You don't have to spell it out or anything. So uh, yeah. keep it nice and easy. That was that's good branding by y'all. I like it. It's smart. Yeah, opens up maybe for other sports. Will you know other oh. sports grading coming down the pipe here? So really. Keep an eye out for some what, stuff. Uh, what, what, can you can you can you tease that out a little bit more? I'm just curious. Is it? Um, I, would, I don't want to give too much away, but it's soccer, so there'll yeah. be some soccer stuff coming down coming down That's the road cool. here. Yeah, is it? I was going to guess either baseball because of your background as a as a as a former pitcher, or potentially basketball. Given you know you and you and Sam are like to hoop it up because I was, <laughs> I was like telling it. Sam uh, yesterday. You know, we I mean the the last time I saw you guys was uh, in Miami for the Super Bowl. And we were talking about the, you know, the, the basket, like, uh, like a, I don't know, it's like a, I don't call it like a blogger basketball tournament, like NFL writer basketball tournament. Um, and then, you know, a month later, the world ended. So yeah, the pre COVID, we were going to have a, a massive basketball tournament at the combine and, you know, not, not a good oh, idea. Now, now there's <laughs> no, no combine. Right? No, no, there's no um, combine. There's not anything. So that's right. Uh, you can follow Steve at PFF underscore Steve. Uh, a senior analyst at PFF and hosted the PFF NFL podcast. I do like PFF is much easier than it. Is. Yeah. yeah. That makes your life a lot easier. It certainly does. Yeah. Except when you have to explain it to idiots who didn't get the message. The first. <laughs> it's, uh, on, it's on, uh, it's our fault for not messaging it properly. Just call us PFF, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, that's the website now too. Um, okay. Let's go to the AFC North. We'll start there. Uh, the, the, one of the, 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 I think the top team in the division, the Baltimore Ravens, the only, the only, uh, and I don't mean, uh, we talked about this yesterday with Sam and, you know, we're discussing the bills and I'm, people are going to get mad at me, I'm sure. But my only hold up on the Ravens and betting their over and taking them to win the division 
is <laughs> Lamar Jackson's vaccination status. Like that's really the only thing that scares me off about the Ravens. Um, I feel like they've got a fairly complete team. I love uh, you know J.K. Dobbins. I, I like their additions on the outside at wide receiver. The health issues are certainly a concern. I guess that's the other possible concern. And I think they'll manufacture enough on defense. Uh, where do you where do you stand on the Ravens? Ten and a half wins over minus one. Whoa, juiced up minus one forty five now. Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably lean over, but I think my hesitancy would be more the strength of the division. I really think this division could be right there behind. The NFC West probably looks, you know, on paper to be the, the best. You've got four legit competitive teams there. But the Browns are legit. Uh, the Bengals should be better. And even though we're calling for the Steelers to be worse because, uh, you know, their their weaknesses on the offensive line and, and maybe in the secondary uh, could be glaring, I, I do think – I do think the AFC North ends up pretty competitive. I, I agree with the Ravens as the best team, but I, I, again, I think it's close between them and the Browns. So uh, I guess my question is, do they have enough answers from a pass game standpoint? Can they win games where the pass game is the focal point? And I think that's the biggest question for the Ravens this year. Yeah. I, you know, one of the things that uh, bugs me a little bit about the Ravens from last year, and I, and I realize that Lamar Jackson wasn't, you know, wasn't, he wasn't as good in 2020 as he was in 2019, but there was just going to be some regression. It's just like with Patrick Mahomes from 2018 to 2019, you know, right. Mahomes wasn't worse. In fact, he was probably better as a passer, but he did regress statistically. That's just sort of how this works when you have like a 9% touchdown percentage. Um, do you think, what, what does the data show for, you know, from y'all's perspective about Lamar's progression? You know, is there, is there, I don't know another level that he can take. How do you how do you see him uh, moving forward just as a as a pure passer? By the way, if you're worried about him, I mean, he's not going to test positive again. If anything, he's he's gonna he's had it twice. He just had it. the The chances of him getting it with the next three to four months are actually minuscule based off the data. So no, but but no, I'm, my concern is that he will have a close contact and be forced because of the protocol. To have to miss time. That's my only concern. Oh, okay. Based off the protocols more than yeah, anything. Just, I mean, again, this is not like I say this every every show, I feel like, but it's, it's not, this is not a vaccination stance. This is a financial stance. <laughs> like, like, oh, I, yeah. Based I, off, I mean, I've, I've been in an NFL building within the last couple of weeks. It is, it's intense as far as how they're, how they're treating things. But um, I oh, would which, say Lamar, which, you know, NFL building. I you can't tell us which NFL building. I cannot tell you. It's one of the 32. Uh, so <laughs> Lamar, you know, I, I think I think what you said, though, like the regression last year. I mean, remember that they had games where he'd go like 15 for 19 with four or five touchdowns. I mean, that level of efficiency that they had in 2019 was just absurd. So I do think and he, and he had a touchdown on like seven or eight percent of his passes. That regression was 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 obvious. And, and I think, you know, where Lamar can take a step forward again is those it's those must pass situations. The thing we always said about him coming out of Louisville, he's still not the most accurate quarterback in the world. He has improved in that area, but because of his rushing ability and because of the way the Ravens have tapped into that, the fact that he is uh, part of the design running game. It, it, so it's like running Uber play action, right? You've got two defenders moving on any right. given play or more defenders moving that creates more open throws. So you don't have to be pristine as a passer, but there are times you got to convert third and seven and third and eight. So I think that's where, Lamar can take a step forward. And those are also the downs where things tend to, you know, fluctuate a little bit. Um, and it's not just Lamar. I think the most impressive thing about him is, is the fact that if you look at his playmakers, the stuff that we usually use as excuses for quarterbacks Ooh. who don't produce, it's not like the Ravens have trotted out the best group of pass catchers out there. They've got a good group of tight ends. They use them well, but having a legitimate, 
you know, trio of receivers to throw to when needed uh, will really help Lamar and help this passing offense, whether that's Marquise Brown not having to be the guy, but just being, you know, or two or a three if Sammy Watkins emerges and if Rashad Bateman gets healthy and becomes the guy. So I think I think it's a full team effort to just get the passing game to be a little bit more efficient and less reliance on the play action game. Yeah, and the, the Marquise Brown thing, too. That wide receiver class is tough because you have A.J. Brown, you have D.K. Metcalf, you know, you yeah. know these, these guys who put up big seasons. And, you know, we kill, rightly so, the, the Eagles for the J.J. Ortega-Whiteside pick and the Pats for, um, you know, Ikeel Harry. The Ravens kind of get beat up for the Marquise Brown pick, but these guys are still going to their third years. You know, it's a little early to just write them off as, you know, this just isn't going to work out. Um, I, I th- But I do think Brown, to, to your point, needs to be – I mean, this kind of, you know, he almost needs to be more like the second guy who yes. takes the top off. And then you have a true possession, you know, chain mover. I don't, I don't know that they have that guy on the roster necessarily. I mean, you know, Sammy Watkins, who somehow is only like 23. Um, <laughs> like Matthew yeah, Stafford, Marquise, they're the same age. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He and Marquise Brown are the same age. Uh, yes, I mean, I think I think this team, that's that will be curious to see if, if he can get better in those, as you point out, Steve, pure passing situations defensively uh you know Matthew Judon is a big loss I still think they have enough because of that secondary and because of the bodies they have on that that defensive line to be stout is it possible that this is the third best defense in the division though well I think they'll be fine I think they'll be okay Judon as a loss I don't think is massive just because of the way the Ravens play football you know certain teams rely on a four-man rush and they need a guy that's going to win one-on-one all the time and that's not the Ravens. They blitz right up there with the Steelers more than anybody else in the league, and they rely on their on their back seven to cover, right? They they rely on their corners to play a lot of man coverage. They rely on Marlon Humphrey to move around and be just uh, uh, almost like Charles Woodson in his in his Packers years, you know, kind of doing everything on the, on the back end of that defense. So um, I think they'll stitch together the pass rush between Tyus Bowser, Pernell McPhee. They brought in Justin Houston, draft Odafe Owe. So. I do like the Ravens defense. You know, Calais Campbell was a nice addition last year. Brandon Williams back in the middle. So there's a lot of just good, solid players there. I need to see a better better play from Patrick Queen, who was kind of all over the place as a rookie. He's got to tackle better, take on blocks better. Um, But I think the Ravens, from a a team-building standpoint, do a lot of the same stuff we believe in at PFF, which is build from back to front, build the secondary. Uh, You're only as strong as your weakest link when it comes to the secondary, so you got to roll three or four deep at corner, and they have a chance to do that this year. That that's a, that's actually a great topic. I had forgotten that, and this is just how long life is in you know, in these segments. But that was the hot to- that was the topic du jour last off season, right? It was. Where you guys rolled it out, and everybody everybody melted down and freaked out about how now you got to build from the pass rush out. Do you feel like you have has success or failures from 2020, um, or you know further? You know, digging into the analytics, have you, have you feel like people have been swayed over to that argument a little bit more than before? I mean, it's it's football, so everything's not nothing's ever clear clear cut, right? I yeah. mean, you it, because it's football, because we're talking, it's like blackjack. You're talking about if there's an advantage, it's fifty five percent. You know, it's not ninety percent. Right. Um, but as far as last year, there were teams. I'm trying to look real quick over at uh, PFF.com, the best pass rushing team. So the Eagles. Are, are like my prime example. The Eagles have had a top five pass rush every year since 2016. The one year they won the Super Bowl, all of a sudden their coverage unit jumped up to top three. So they're they've always the Eagles have always rushed the passer well. They've had eight eight you know they've been rolling eight deep and, and they're a four man rush type of team. They're always good there, but their success has always been dependent on what happens in the secondary. So that's always 
that's generally one example that I like to use. Uh, the, the Niners were a team last year, which probably you know kind of got lost a little bit, but they still had one of the most efficient defenses in the league, even while losing Nick Bosa, even while losing DeForest Buckner and not really replacing them. They had the number three coverage unit by our numbers last year. So, um, and they had a very good defense. They just, their offense was atrocious. So um, I, I do think overall, uh, I think the theory holds true, but there were certainly outliers all, all along the way too. Yeah, I mean, like you've got to have, you know, you can build from the secondary, but if you don't build it right, it, it, it you know, it won't matter. Um, they are complementary pieces. Either I mean, pass rush and coverage are complementary pieces. I think sure. the main point is when you're watching a football game, when you see a quarterback get hit, you immediately assign credit in your head to the defensive line, right? And you don't because you don't necessarily see well if the quarterback doesn't go to his first or second read. That might only take two and a half seconds, right? But it's it's getting away from that first or second read that allowed the pass rush to get there. So it's just it's probably more complimentary than people think. Where people used to think, oh, just build in the trenches and it'll protect everybody else. It's probably more complimentary than even our perception through the years. Yeah, I always think back to the I guess it's 2011 Giants when they won that Super Bowl and they had you know this this group of guys on the back end who were fine. But not not or maybe it was it two thousand no it was two thousand eleven Giants but, but you know, they had this great pass rush that beefed up the secondary but you can do it the other way around and right. that's sort of what Baltimore does and, and it's it's worked out fine for them they got a great set of dudes on the on the back end there uh, with with uh, Marlon Humphrey and friend of the podcast uh, Marcus Peters oh nice there. yeah uh, right, listen, the Browns you mentioned the Browns I mean this is a and I, I can't I'm having trouble with the Browns because I look at the roster and everything about this team makes me want to be in on them. I mean, the, the offensive line is stacked. I, I, I know you guys were high on Baker Mayfield coming out of the, coming into the draft. I, I Baker was my number one quarterback in that class as well. Nick Chubb is maybe my favorite running back in all of football. I think Odell Beckham is a buy low in fantasy and they added all the necessary pieces on defense, you know, clowny a little bit over hype probably, but can certainly help them in areas that they need help on. And they got young players who could be ascending. The only reason Steve, I don't, like I'm not in on the Browns is because they're the Browns and they're 16 to one to win the Super Bowl. And that seems crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how you balance that. Right. I don't know how you balance the history with, you know, Andrew Barry's the, the GM now and making a lot of smart moves. They have a very smart front office and I think it shows in, in pretty much every move they make. And then Kevin Stefanski came in last year and in like, you know, any other first year coach, if you, if you trend in the right direction, you should have confidence in that guy, right? Sean McVay came in, and was like a godsend for the Rams, and nobody was doubting him after year one just because there wasn't a Rams history. So I'm not saying Kevin Stefanski deserves that type of credit, but in most non-Browns situations, you would say, well, the front office, the roster, the coach, it's all in line, right? I mean, I think my biggest hesitancy is still Baker Mayfield, right? As much mm -hmm. as I did love him coming out, and as much as he did, I was almost out on him, Will. I mean, I was almost out after week seven. He he played against the Steelers. I think it was the week seven, week six oh, or seven it was game. Awful, awful. It was so bad. He start. He's just staring down his first read and pick six to make a Fitzpatrick in the beginning he, he of the year. For, he yanked it for Case Keenum and made it made it seem like a protection injury thing. There was a point where Case Keenum looked like he might have been a better option just because Baker was not seeing the field. Uh, he was wasn't thrown with touch. I mean, there was just so much where it was like, man, he is not progressing. And then all of a sudden, OBJ gets hurt and Baker Mayfield's better. I mean, and, and I'm not saying that they're connected necessarily, but it is weird, right? And in 2019, when the whole offense was just a disaster, it was Baker and OBJ just not being on the same page. There was yeah. probably two or three times 
Odell Beckham's making that in cut. He's going to run the dig route, and then he kind of straightens it out, and they're not on the same page. It happened over and over and over again. It was this weird chemistry thing, and I don't know how much you chalk it up to Freddie Kitchens and whatever. But clearly Baker's been better without Odell Beckham, but I'm with you. I mean, I think I think part of that was just Baker's progression. It was, it was the, the system playing off that running game. And Odell Beckham with Jarvis Landry, with Rashard Higgins, and pushing those guys, taking pressure off their plate, um, should make thing, everything better. But but honestly, it's just Baker's consistency to me. Yeah. Um, put that full season together, let me buy in, and, and I'll feel much better about the Browns going forward. Yeah, and that, look, I, I applaud Baker for not saying – not pounding the table. Like, I need a contract. You know, we're trying to get paid. Yeah. Like, like, dude's doing the smart thing. You know, go out there and play well. I, I sort of wonder, though, if you – I mean, the one thing about – you know, when you the, – the problem with this team, and this is maybe more of a fantasy question or, or – or, from a betting perspective, like if you wanted to bet on Baker Mayfield to win MVP, I don't hate the idea because I think he could have a really good season and there's some decent – you know, if it's like 35-1 to 1 or something like that. But if you go and look at Kevin Stefanski, when he's OC in Minnesota um, and then last year, you know, with, with the Browns, they're just not going to throw it enough for him to put up those numbers. Right. And is that something like, I like, I mean, I don't know how much and I'm not asking you if you, you guys talk to the Browns, but I am curious because to me, it looks very clearly like he has a, a set number. And I think it's like 19 for, for ru- ru- rushing attempts for Nick Chubb. Like he just does. He like, he believes there's a certain number where you're efficient, more efficient. And then I think with Baker too, he, he, he wants to limit the number of passing plays and the, and the number of times that Baker's forced to drop back and make a decision. Yeah. So uh, I bet on Baker to win MVP in his second season. So I was way off. That was when he was terrible. So so I don't mind the bet. But here's here's what I thought. Like my a year ago, here's what I was saying. When Ke- Kevin Stefanski comes in and you run that play action attack and you and you roll Baker out and all that stuff, if Baker drops back thirty five times in a game, how many of those are going to be protected, so to speak? You got a few screens. You have a few easy rollouts, you know, so I think that's what Stefanski brought was just the the gimme plays so that it's not Baker Mayfield dropping back and making plays on third and long the entire time. Um, there might be 15 plays where he's got a, you know, ball out or 20 plays where he's really going to ball out. So um, I think your point is, is right because they do have, I think, the best offensive line, the best run blocking offensive line, two-headed, you know, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in the backfield. Um, and the entire Shanahan tree, as much as we always talk at PFF, pass, pass, pass. If you are efficient on the ground and you do tie it to play action and all that stuff, you can run an efficient offense as the Browns have and as, you know, the Shanahan tree generally does. So I'm kind of with you. I don't know if the volume is going to be there, uh, but I do think for Baker's efficiency, this system has worked really well because they're just taking a few of those plays out of his hands, you know, in, in, in a given game. So defensively, Cleveland, again, as I point out, like I like their additions, you know, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to get too over high. Clowney, I think is a better player than the people who hate him believe. Right. And, and he doesn't yeah. need to be this 40 sack, guy, 20 sack guy. He's just going to be a, a great defender against a run. Um, how, how do you guys look at this defense in terms of, is it, is this, is this, is there anything that could indicate maybe they take a leap forward and become an elite defense? Yeah, I think just all of the turnover that they've had, all the new players, uh, they, again, the same thing I'll say about the Ravens. I think the Browns have built this team the right way. You know, they, they, they invested heavily in the secondary, bringing in John Johnson, who's been, you know, by PFF grades above 80 in his three full seasons, which is fantastic. Uh, Troy Hill comes in after his really nice season last year with the Rams. He can play the slot, can play outside. And I love that the Browns went in the first round and just drafted Greg Newsom and said, we're going to take another corner because, again, 
you literally cannot have too many corners in today and today's NFL. You don't, it's not a two person position. It's like a four or five person position realistically. And they have greedy Williams sitting there who we really don't know what he is at this point. He's only played one full season and they have Grant Delpit, even though he's hurt again, you know, we don't know what he is at safety. So I just love that the Browns didn't go in and say, well, we'll, we'll let greedy Williams compete for the job. They said, no, we're going to get Greg Newsom. We're going to attack the secondary with volume because you need that to stop opposing offenses in today's NFL. So I think the secondary is fantastic. Uh, they add in Jeremiah Uso-Koromoa, who's already was flying around the field yeah. in the first week of preseason. So a nice hybrid linebacker. And then the Clowney thing is interesting because when people, th- people thought he was as good as Khalil Mack or this elite pass rusher, and we were the ones saying, wait, 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 he's like an, he's the eight sack guy. Like that's what he is. Yeah. That's he pass rushes at that level. And then he has two years where he, only sacked the quarterback three times and then last year zero and it's like okay well he's better than that he's better than a three sack guy or a zero (laughs) sack guy so you know sacks are certainly they're dependent on how good you are uh but also what's around you I mean if if Jadavian Clowney has eight sacks this year playing at the same level as he did the last two years I wouldn't be surprised you know just because he's got Miles Garrett uh Malik Jackson there so I think the Browns again smart moves add in some veterans along that defensive line and, and they should be much better defensively. Uh, agreed completely. The Steelers are the popular uh, fade in, in the NFL. They're over under eight and a half. They are 40 to one to win the Super Bowl. It, it has to have been since pre 2004 for them to be 40 to one to win the Super Bowl. It is crazy. Um, are you aboard the, the fade big Ben bandwagon or do you think there's a little bounce back left in that, in that, in this newly slimmed out uh, Roethlisberger? <laughs> I'm in the fade category but I, I also try to paint a picture of what could happen right so again last year at this time it was like the Packers think about the Packers offseason last year they didn't draft anybody that could help the team immediately and they probably pissed off Aaron Rodgers and it just didn't feel good and then they went out and Aaron Rodgers balled out because he's Aaron Rodgers right I mean Big Ben is still Big Ben right he still has the ability to turn back the clock make a few you know big time throws down the field uh, so that's why I think it's really Chase Claypool that is the the biggest factor. I think the the Ooh. Steelers, by our uh, rankings, number thirty one offensive line on paper heading into the season. I think it's going to be a, a challenge. But if they do run more play action like they have during the preseason here with Matt Canada at offensive coordinator, if they do run more motion, the things that Big Ben hates, and Chase Claypool becomes a star, I feel like he can offset everything else. Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Juju as a number three. It is a good group of playmakers. And all you need is Big Ben, who looked bad last year for the majority of the season. He was his stats were way better than he actually played. Hit a few of those downfield plays. Let you know, if, if Claypool balls out, I think it offsets a lot of these bad feelings of the offensive line and drafting a running back in the first round and all these moves that make it feel like the Steelers got worse this offseason, which I think they did. But I feel like they could offset it if Big Ben just plays better than he did last year, which is possible. Yeah, and I think too, there's a chance that because whenever they the Steelers do this. They they make Ben uncomfortable. Like when they did it, in, I think it was 2012, where they hired Todd Haley and yeah. fired, you know, Bruce Arians retired. Yeah. Um, it's it's almost like just making Ben uncomfortable in a way that will force him to play. He'll play better because he's uncomfortable. I think that's sort of what you're banking on. That he's a competitor, awesome. right? He's a competitor, like a Rodgers or a Brady, and they and they have a history of success. And sometimes that negative motivation kind of yeah. works for them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the Steelers fans and Steelers fans in my life, uh, the ones that I talked to, I, no, no, it's, it's like Ryan Wilson's a Steelers fan. Like, but, yeah. uh, Jeff, uh, no, Brian DiArdo and, and Ryan Wilson are the two that have said this. And I just don't, they're like, the offensive line's improved from last year. I'm like, I don't, like, maybe it is, but it's still really bad, right? 
So it, it depends on how you view it, right? It, it's a weird way to, to look at it. If, if they brought the same offensive line back from last year, even though they didn't play great, I would have more confidence in that unit than I do the current unit right now because yeah. Ali Villanueva at left tackle and Marquise Pouncey at center and David DeCastro at right guard, they did not play well. They all kind of took steps back last year, especially DeCastro and Villanueva. But they have a history of playing better than that. So you would bank on and that. They're known, they're known commodities, right? They are. So even if they had a bad day, they, they had our number 31 graded uh, run blocking unit last year. So my, I would look at that and say they'll be better this year. They weren't great last year, but they should be better because they have a track record. There's no track record for a core for it left tackle. Zach Banner's played uh, hundreds of snaps in the NFL in four years. Uh, Trey Turner's coming off his worst season. And he's on his third team. I mean, like. Right. I mean, so it's so there's there's nothing on the roster that says that they will be better other than, you know, hope. Right. Because it's August and we all have hope. Now, in the preseason, uh, Dan Moore is a rookie who's played pretty well. Kendrick Green, the other rookies played okay. If those if those guys come out and exceed expectations, maybe. But, yeah, there's nothing on paper that says, yeah, this line's going to be better than they were last year. Yeah. Uh, Defensively, there's been some. I think there was some talk about Devin Bush not there. Joe Schobert wearing the uh, wearing the the green dot and and capturing the defense. That's that's kind of a red flag for me. And as much as I love T.J. Watt, I do wonder how he's going to be without you know. Like it's it's nice having Bud Dupree there, and he's gone now. And like I, it feels like there's some spots where this defense could take a step back. And if that happens, this, this team is in trouble. Yeah, so I'm, I'm less worried about the pass rush because I, I think we've always been on the boat that other than 2019, Bud Dupree's really been overrated. You know, I think he's been more of a product of the blitzing system and TJ Watt, really. Um, Melvin Ingram, Alex Highsmith, I think they'll be fine there. Uh, Devin Bush is the interesting one, right? Because again, you talk about Steelers fans. I mean, they think he's Dick Butkus over there. So <laughs> it, it, it is, it's tough because he, he's played pretty well. He's been okay. Um, there's a lot of pressure on Steelers linebackers. They blitz a ton, so you're you know you're covering an ocean sometimes. Um, and he's got the speed and all that stuff. But yeah, I think I think having Bush and Schobert next to each other should certainly help. I'm really worried about the secondary. So if, as much if I'm talking about the Ravens and talking up the Browns for their co- potential cornerback depth, I have to talk down the Steelers because they right. lose Steven Nelson, who was pretty good last year. Cameron Sutton was pretty good too. But again, you you want to have three guys there. So who's the, who's the number three? Um, who's the real starter on the outside when Sutton moves into the slot? It, it's and Joe Hayden, you know, he's getting he's getting older and he's just been good, solid, okay the last couple of years. So you know, the Steelers are primed to protect those guys on the back end. I just think the secondary is going to be a much bigger weakness than it has been the last two years. Well, look, if their secondary is bad and the offensive line is bad, then the fade the fade is probably the smart move. But I I, I do like your idea, Steve. Of you know, you got to find the, find the path. Because there is a path. All these teams, well, most of these teams have a path to, to success. Maybe the, a team like the Bengals, for instance, probably no path to a Super Bowl victory. <laughs> right. Uh, what, what, like, what, 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 for what in your mind constitutes a good season for Cincinnati? I mean, seven wins and Joe Burrow isn't destroyed. And, oh, and maybe more importantly, uh, has 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 the Panay Sewell Jamar Jamar Chase uh, argument been solved yet? Oh, it'll never be solved. I mean, honestly, the, the, the pressure's on Jackson Carmen, who's rolling with the third string, the uh, the second round guard now out of yeah. uh, from the Bengals, right? I mean, part of um, I feel like PFF had a big hand in 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 pushing the wide receiver over tackle narrative. Um, and even even despite that, I think it was a legit toss up. I think you're okay if you went Penesul or Jamar Chase. Um, I think the the reason you could go Jamar Chase is the same way I was saying. Well, the coverage versus pass rush debate you can protect your quarterback by having receivers who get open. It's not just the offensive line's job. I know that Burrow got hurt last year on a block that should have been made. 
Um, but you protect the quarterback by having receivers who get open quickly. And if you have Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, that should help a little bit. Either way, the Bengals do have plenty of questions on the offensive line. And success this year, yeah, Joe Burrow looks like a future star and stays in one piece. And then you say, okay, how do we build upon next year? And then, you know, Zach Taylor, I think, is really under the gun here, right? I mean, how – what is he as a head coach? How does he progress <laughs> this year? Friend of Sean McKay. Yeah, friend of Sean. By the way, I did find out, so you might be seeing me hired soon. My chiropractor's wife's best friend's husband, good friends with Sean McVay. Well, so I could be joining my you're friend the Zach next Robinson. Coach. Right. I guess Sean McDermott's not getting fired. You're the next uh, who's getting fired first. I actually think the bet is no coach fired in season. Maybe we'll be the next Bengals coach, though. I could be. I'm 12 minutes away from the stadium here, so we could we could make that happen. Are you really only 12 minutes away? Oh yeah. I'm right outside. You right into, outside uh, do you ever run into Jim Breach around there? No, I yeah. don't think so. You know, you know, talk about Jim Breach, right? I don't. Oh, so John's dad is the old Bengals kicker. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's actually a great dude. Anyway, um, I don't know, but I'm close. I'm close to the stadium here. Nice, very nice. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, the NFC North. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, so uh, everything starts and ends, of course, in the NFC North with Aaron Rodgers. I was actually able to get down, uh, sprinkle down some. I got Packers forty to one to win the Super Bowl, uh, and uh, two plus two twenty five to win the NFC North. When it looked like that, you remember that very bizarre twenty four hours where Mike Florio wouldn't stop writing about how the sports books were taking down Packers odds. And yeah. in reality, what happened is he screwed everybody because if they left him up, he could have pounced on him when Rodgers announced he was coming back. Yeah, um, right. You know, do you? Uh, this is. Over under 10 and a half for the Packers feels kind of like a slam dunk to me. I don't I don't see what I'm missing on the Packers over. Yeah, they should be good. I think the the thing that you would I, I would I would hit the over, but the thing yeah. you would look at is okay, Aaron Rodgers. Here's here's what analytics has done to me, Will. Instead of taking the nice story and said, Oh, he played great last year, he'll continue it. I actually go the other way and say, wow, this guy was so good. It's got to get worse, right? And I and I and that's like it's ch- it's changed, I think, the way we tell stories where you used to think, well, a court, uh, young quarterbacks, they'll get better every year. And instead, we're like, wait, 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 let's see if they can replicate this. Let's use some common sense here. So the common sense play would say, well, Aaron Rodgers was the highest graded quarterback by PFF standards last year and by every other measure. Sure. Uh, Devontae Adams was the best receiver by every measure. Jair Alexander was the best corner by our measure. Can they replicate that? They're all good. They're all awesome. But can they play at that level? Because I think they they elevated the rest of the roster because it's, it's three elite positions all playing at the top of their respective position, right? So if, if there's any sort of slippage there, 
you you need other receivers to step up. You need uh, cornerback two is still a massive question mark for the for the Packers, even though they they bring back Kevin King, who's just never played football well. Um, <laughs> and so um, that would be my hesitation. I, I'm not going to hesitate. I would take the Packers over. I still think Aaron Rodgers is great, and and that they'll be fine. But can they play at that elite level at the, with with those superstars? I think that's a big question. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has. So if you take um, 2008. When he, when he became the starter in Green Bay through 2019, he completed 64.6% of his passes, averaged on a 16-game basis, 4,287 yards and 33 touchdowns. So, I mean, his completion percentage, I mean, that's, you know, that's not a small sample size, and this guy's been doing it, it you know, with only, only two systems, um, you know, same sort of similar personnel, you know, Adams, Jordy Nelson, whatever it is. I mean, last year's, I'm kind of, I mean, the yardage is fine, but the touchdown Pass it the 48 touchdown passes, 9.1% of his passes. We just talked about Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Like yeah. that's going to come down. It's yeah, like, it, not going to happen again. And look, Roger's career, of course, he's first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the best yeah. of all time, all of that. But I think I, I can off the top of my head say, okay, 2020, uh, the stretch in 2016, most of 2014, and probably 2010 into 11. Yep. Those stretches of play were like otherworldly. It was like, okay, Rogers is playing like the best in the world which is great. He deserves credit for that. But everything around it from 17 to 19, you were, there was debates. Was Is he regressing? The production's not as high. You know, is he a top five quarterback? Is he top six or seven? You know, um, so that could happen again. I mean, the right? Packers, it, it happened because the Packers drafted Jordan Love. I mean, like they, they right. were worried that he was right. slipping. So, so it's not a slam dunk that Rodgers plays at that elite level because, like I'm saying, since 2011, it's kind of come and gone at times. So, to me, that would be the biggest question for the Packers. Plus, the offensive line, I think, uh, has more question marks than they've had in the past. You know, right tackle, if, if Billy Turner is scheduled to be the right tackle there, and, uh, you know, that's Josh Myers at center who they drafted. I think the, I think the line's a, a bit of a question mark compared to what it's been in the past. I mean, Corey Lindsley's been starting at center basically since 2014. I mean, yeah. this, you know, Aaron Rodgers will be fine. He'll put up, he'll put up good numbers. He'll be good. But, you know, those are so, a subtle adjustment. Like, you're, you're, you know, you have a, you're changing, you know, they know the scheme well enough, but you have a, a new center coming in. I mean, that's, to me, the center is always an underrated aspect of, of what these players have to, you know, these quarterbacks have to deal with, even a veteran guy. You know, if it's a rookie, you're worried about it for sure. But I, I think there are enough questions to be asked about Rodgers. Does the, you know, does the defense, was the defense good? I can never tell if the Packers defense is good. I mean, I know Jair Alexander's good. Jerry Smith is good, but I don't feel like the Packers defense is ever great. I think they were top heavy. You know, I think yeah. it's Jair Alexander and Adrian Amos were, you know, good on the back end. I mentioned Kevin King. You know, they drafted Eric Stokes. That, you know, that that's the the weak link system at play, so to speak, right? Yeah. When the Bucks attack Kevin King in the NFC Championship, Mike Evans has a long touchdown. Scotty Miller has the long touchdown. It doesn't matter that you have Jair on one side. It doesn't even matter that you have Adrian Amos at safety. It doesn't matter that you have two of the top five at their respective positions if the one guy is bottom five at his position, right? So that's why depth is so crucial there. And I think that's um, that's where the Packers could struggle, right? Yeah. Um, the tricky part too is Brandon Staley scheme potentially coming in, you know, the new, you know, play a little quarters and play a little softer and, and you know, prevent the deep passes. We'll see if that becomes a trend because the Packers, you know, might be going that way defensively. Interesting. And that, so in other words, we like the Packers, but you don't love the Packers. Right. I mean, coming off of last year, 
they were so good last year. I just, yeah. I don't think they'll be as good and it'll be a, you know, a couple bounces here and there that determine if they win 13 or if they win 11 or 10 or whatever that number is. I'd go over though on the Packers. For sure. Vikings are at uh, nine and I consider, I mean, Vegas considers them to be the biggest challengers in the division. I think there's a case too, where I mean, like this is last year was the first time you ever have really seen a Mike Zimmer defense suck and yeah. they completely redid the whole thing. Is there, is there any way to look at, changes and in, in historical data and stuff and, and figure out if a bounce back is coming for a defense like that. Um, and my buddy, Sam, you know, actually told me the other day, he looked it up. He said they were actually the second most efficient uh, defense on third down, which shows how bad Ooh. they were on first and second down. So it was still Zimmer on third down, but first and second down was a disaster. Um, the pass rush was horrible. So we talk about how much they have to play off each other. They were bottom one or two in our pass rush grades. Just having Danelle Hunter back should help that quite a bit or having a Dalvin Tomlinson in the middle or Sheldon Richardson coming back. So I, I think the Vikings will be better. I also look at it from this big picture view of they just drafted 15 times last year. I think it was 10 or 11 times this year. A lot of times you just get that influx of youth and it's just yeah. you're going to hit on some players and there are going to be some guys that emerge. So I think the Vikings are trending in the right direction. They still come back to their offensive line. They haven't had that thing solved in a while. So if Christian Darasaw comes back healthy and can play left tackle, or if uh, Wyatt Davis, who they got in the third round, can step in and play left guard, I think that would be huge for him. Yeah, it it feels like they've been trying to solve it. I, I, I think there's maybe a chance. I was suggesting this the other day, and I kind of got shot down when I threw it out to some people. But it was like, is there a chance the Vikings offensive line breaks out without because you know but brian hill is a, two, a 2018 second rounder garrett bradbury first rounder 2019 they draft ezra cleveland you mentioned darisol who they need to get back there i mean if, if all those guys like that's asking a lot that they would yeah. just all take a step forward but if they all sort of gelled you know maybe dalvin cook leads a league you know maybe dalvin cook has a 1500 rushing yard season i mean who, i mean Again, people laughed at me when I suggested it, so feel free to laugh. It's it's not crazy because look, offensive linemen are our our numbers point to this. They break out in year three or four. Um, that's you know Bradbury's heading into year three, and uh, Ezra Cleveland's heading into year two. But the point is, a lot of guys go from not being like Eric Fisher is the classic example. Donovan yeah. Smith, you know, these were guys who were like, "LOL, look at that guy" early in their career, <laughs> yeah. and then they get better. Eric Flowers has turned into like a reasonable guard. I mean, he was the butt of every Twitter joke yeah, for a Garrett while. Yeah, Garrett Bowles turned into a pretty good player. Plus, they stopped calling holding last year, so that helped him quite a bit. Um, but there are linemen who get better in year three or four. Uh, and, and look, I, I don't want to overrate process for the draft and all that stuff. I thought it was a great process what the Vikings did, trading down in the first round. They got Christian Darasaw and Kellen Mond and Wyatt Davis essentially for that one draft pick. Yeah. Um, and I think you know that, that from a process standpoint, they they may have found two offensive line starters for the price of one, which was Elijah Vera Tucker in the draft. So I, I think those moves um, will start to pay off for the Vikings. Yeah, I'm, I would take the Vikings over, uh, again, as I mentioned with Lamar, this you know, Kirk Cousins uh, uh, stand on the refusal to get vaccinated. If I die, I die, uh, is, has me a little concerned about taking that over. But I would lean towards that over. Uh, the Bears, they draft Justin Fields. They trade up and get him. They're over under seven and a half. How early do you think we see Justin Fields? based on the way and what what are your thoughts on as pete prisco likes to say play the kid let the kid play <laughs> i don't think there's a right answer uh, you know pete there's there's just a history of both oh, things yeah. working right and i think whatever you decide you go for it and, and i don't think i don't think matt Nagy went out there and said just because i was part of the mahomes deal 
that it's going to be 16 games. Oh, he's not going to play for 16 games. We'll see him in week 17 because that's what Mahomes did. I think all he's saying is when Justin Fields is ready, he's going to play. Um, and it doesn't matter what Andy Dalton does. Now, again, Sam always yells back at me. He's like, well, the year Mahomes was there, Alex Smith balled out, led the league in passer rating and all this stuff, and the Chiefs were afraid to bench him because he was having a career year. I guess if that happened with Andy Dalton, maybe that pushes Fields back. But the right. Bears' goal is to do what's best by Justin Fields. That's their best bet. So if they think it's week three or week 15 or whatever it is, Justin Fields should be playing. So whenever he's ready, he'll play. And I think you know, there's a lot a lot to be excited about after after his debut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was certainly an interesting. I, th- I think that what they're going to do is do exactly what they did with Glennon and Trubisky, which is act like they were going to play Glennon for the full year and then panic when they start losing games and go to Trubisky. And that's what's going to happen with Andy Dalton is they're going to panic lo- because they got a fairly soft schedule out of the start. But You just uh, can't panic, though. You, gotta, you, you can't make your decision based off Andy Dalton if you're smart. You do whatever's best for Fields. And if it's right. like Dalton balls out week one, but Fields is even better in practice, it's like, all right, it's Fields time. Yeah, and th- well, that's the thing, too, is if – if you're benching Andy Dalton because he sucks and throwing Justin Fields out there before he's ready, that is the worst thing that you could do. Yes, Justin Fields. yes agreed. Uh, do do you think that this defense, this defense actually, the more, I mean, obviously they, that's sort of been their calling card, but you look at this defense and it's not hard to to kind of get excited about it, even though I guess they're going into their, this is their third offensive defensive coordinator in like four years. Yeah, I mean, in 2018, they were elite. They were, they were really good. That was the year that they, you know, won the division and all that, but um, I think they've slowly gotten depleted on the back end, and, yeah. and and there's still a question about you know who who the top pass rusher is opposite Khalil Mack. You've got Robert Quinn there, who's just okay. Um, so I think they'll be I think they'll be solid, but it's I don't think it's this fearsome Bears defense that they're accustomed to. I think a lot of that has to do with weather too, and all. I think that's why you have good defenses in cold weather cities. I think you get aided by that when you don't have to play in domes. That's a whole different story, but. Um, I have questions about the secondary and uh, Jalen Johnson, Kendall Vildor, Duke Shelley, Desmond Trufant, Artie, Artie Burns. Like those are all the dudes competing for those those three corner spots. So I think that's a big question mark. That is a big question mark. Do you um, are you then out on the Bears? Maybe I, I was sort of leaning towards the seven and a half is so low. But... I'm, I'm not I'm not out on the Bears because I think from a high level view, if you look at what Matt Nagy has done, despite Mitchell Trubisky over the field, he is they've won games. They made the playoffs last yeah. year despite not having good quarterback play. I think Matt Nagy and maybe Ryan Pace too deserve credit for that. And maybe that goes uh <laughs> maybe it's more Matt Nagy, but yeah, I, I think Matt Nagy might be a good coach. Bears fans hate him as a play caller. I don't think he's I, that I, bad. Yeah, I mean, you're you're hamstrung by what you have. I mean, he's look, Justin Fields with his speed. I, he looked so fast in in the debut for whatever that's worth, and the and the Bears rolling him out a touch and him breaking from the pocket. I mean, he's he's going to be tough to defend, right? He does have to get rid of the ball quicker and make some better decisions and what have you. But um, that's going to open up the play calling. And if they just call ten rollouts a game, um, it's going to stress the defense. I, the play calling is going to look a lot better when you have a better playmaker. There. And meanwhile, Andy Dalton folds like a cheap launch here under pressure so yeah. you know, good but anyway good luck with that decision uh matt nagy is there is there any reason to consider taking the lions over uh which i think is four and a half what is it four and a half or five did they move it up to five it's five, five last Rovers, time i saw it Rovers yeah. minus 140 five. um i mean this team might this i get that dan campbell is, is fun and entertaining and he and he's a great soundbite i'm just not sure this team is gonna be any good I, I think they're just in a rebuilding mode. I mean, that's yeah. it's just where they are. And I think, you know, they're building through the trenches, which is which sounds great on paper, but doesn't actually win you a ton of games if you're bad on the perimeter. Um, it's just the nature of the NFL. So if they don't have 
one of their receivers. They would need a, you know Brashad Perryman where he flashed the flashed the first round ability a couple years ago. That needs to happen. Tyrell Williams has been a pretty good complimentary big threat. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown had a nice little debut. I mean, they would need those guys to play really well. And I think Jared Goff is just fascinating here because I do think he's a pretty good quarterback. I don't think he's been completely a product of Sean McVay. So it, for them to go over, you know, Jared Goff, it, it's tough to think of Jared Goff on a team that's going to win less than five games. That's the only thing. I, I think he's good enough. I mean, it's you're making a face here, but Jared Goff's a pretty good quarterback, right? Yeah. You don't have a whole lot of He was going to be a top five quarterback for a while in 2018. I mean, right. like, I he was, yeah. So how much of that you want to put on McVay and the scheme and whatever? Hold that aside for a second. It's still tough to win less than five games in today's NFL if you have a solid quarterback, a top 20, a top 15 quarterback. It's tough to do. Now, I think the Lions are equipped to do it. I think they're they're completely <laughs> in a rebuilding state here. But all Goff has to do is ball out for four, five, six games, and and they could pull some, pull some off. So I, I would take the under for the Lions uh, because of the rebuild. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if Goff just make – like if Goff ruins their first overall pick aspirations because he's too good. My concern, my biggest concern with the Lions actually isn't even Dan Campbell, but so Rod, I talk about this. This is like my big thing on this podcast for some reason with the Lions. Rod Wood, who's their president and CEO, was like involved in cutting, making roster moves last year, and he, they then go out and hire Chris Spielman, who hasn't had a job. He's, you know, he's been broadcasting for Fox Sports for twenty one years, yeah. And they bring him in, and I feel like he, I feel like Spielman is sort of the de facto general manager. I know Brad Holmes is the actual general manager, but it feels like Spielman and Rod Wood have this influence on the hiring of Dan Campbell, on the decision to, you know, let Stafford go and and really like all the roster moves and build through the trenches. And I, I'm just concerned that they're going to try and construct a team the way that Chris Spielman, who I believe was drafted in – what year was he drafted in 1988? 90, 88. Yeah, 88. Yeah. Like, like, a, like he played for the Lions from 88 to 95, and they're trying to like build a team based on what Chris Spielman thinks a championship football team would look like. And that that scares the hell out of me for I hear you. Even yeah, thinking I, about the Lions being good. Yeah, I, I had the same take. I was like, man, Spielman and Dan Campbell. I said for for a while, I was like, their first pick's gonna be Micah Parsons. <laughs> you know, they're just they, they because a lot of times your first pick is as a regime, it's like, all right, this is the tone setter and it's gotta yeah. be my it's gotta be the Mike linebacker. Um, but look, I don't mind them building in the trenches because I don't see them winning for a couple years. And and just going back to that point about offensive line development. If Panay Sewell starts to peak in year three and Alim McNeil and Levi uh, Unwizarike. Alim McNeil is a stud, by the way. I love Yeah, he's good. I mean, so it's okay now, but at some point they have to say, okay, it's a pass-first league. We got You win with depth at corner and with depth at wide receiver, and you win through the pass game as long as they get there. But, yeah, I kind of understand your concern about Spielman and Campbell as the Two guys. Like, like, we'll wait. They're chewing on ribs. Like, yeah, we're here. We're to do that. We're building through the trenches, baby. It's also – it's Spielman's commentary, too. Every game that he was announcing, it was like, oh, you got to establish the run and this and that. So yeah. you could you could kind of sense that stuff. I, I don't I don't want to I – mean, he's, he's, he's an executive now, so I can say that. Like, I, I didn't like him as a broadcaster. I, not a, not a <laughs> That's human. okay. He uh, might be back and, there in a couple of years. You never know. Yeah, and, uh, and, and by the way, they don't have depth at wide receiver because they have Brashad Perryman, Tyrell Williams, and Quintez Cephas, which – yeah. You know, that's not entirely great. It's it's right there. It's the worst unit in the league, probably. With right, uh, sure. maybe the Texans. I, I do think Hawkinson could have a monster year though. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just volume I mean, wise. Just I mean 
think about the difference from last year. Marvin Jones was good. Kenny Galladay, when healthy, was great. And Danny Amendola is an excellent number three. It's it's night and day from what the Lions have been trotting out there the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, don't take Lions over, kids. It's not good for your health. Or, or bankroll. That's right. Uh, all right, Steve. Uh, this is a blast, man. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Uh, we ripped through both the Norths. Got some good uh, good insight into it and get ready for football. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thanks, Will. Hey, dude. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You don't want to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.